Hello, I'm Neil Quigley and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast. Think of it as a radio show on the internet with no music. This week, find out what happened when I'm at Katie Price. Also discover if you've ever owned a worse or more unlucky car than one I owned. Find out why I'm a terrible DIY handyman. And we'll hear from Janet Ellis. I interviewed her many years ago. We discuss pocket money for children. And also, I told her about the previous time that we'd actually met. All on the way in this week's podcast. Enjoy. Now, I'm not a man's man when it comes to DIY or fixing things around the house. I'm so bad at it, it's unbelievable. I can't build things, I can't paint, I can't decorate. I have terrible manual skills, but I have some great mates. And in the past, there's been times when I've been between jobs, been out of work, and they've tried to help me out. A couple of mates of mine are workmen. They've got their own businesses. One's a tiler, one's a builder. I've gone and helped them out at various points over the years to try and do what I could. Obviously, mainly non-skilled roles. Now, I was working with a mate of mine for a while on one particular job for a couple of weeks. It was the tiler. I basically went along and said, look, what I'll do is I'll carry the tiles for you. I'll sweep up. I'll make the tea. I'll do all the simple things. I can't do anything too technical. I'm no good at it. Anyway, because I was there for a while, and I guess because he's a nice bloke and thought he'd try and teach me some skills, he actually tried to teach me how to cut the tiles. He had a tile cutter, and he showed me how to mark them, how to measure them, and how to cut them, which... In the main, was going quite well. I was getting the tiles cut. He was quite happy. He was putting the tiles into the bathroom where they were supposed to be. It's all going well. And then I proved why I will never be a proper workman. Because I cut this one tile, cut it in half, and I wasn't quite happy with how I cut it. I thought, well, do you know what? That doesn't look a very straight cut. That doesn't look a good cut. You know, I want it to be smoother than that. Let me just check how smooth it is. I know what I'll do. To check how smooth it is, I'll just run my finger across the top of the tile, the area where I've cut it. By the way, that is not a good idea because all I proceeded to do was cut my finger. And when I tried to explain that to my mates, he could not believe what I'd done. It just seemed like the obvious thing to do to me to check the smoothness, forgetting that basically I'd created a razor sharp knife that I just run my finger down. This is why I am no good at DIY. I really am not a man's man at all when it comes to those sort of things. Get someone else in to do jobs. That is very much my philosophy. Neil Quigley. When I was working down in Yeovil, the local college had quite a strong performing arts section, a drama section, and also a bit of a technical section as well. And every year they put on an X Factor style Christmas show, which gave the people who are performers at the college the chance to sing, form acts and perform. And it gave all the technical people the chance to video it, film it, run it like a TV show, do the sound for it, do the pictures, do the producing, do the production. And what they needed was somebody to come in and host it for them, someone to come in and be the Dermot O'Leary. I was that man for a couple of years running. It was lots of fun. And I have to say, the students were absolutely brilliant. They really put some effort into it. There were some great acts. And of course, we did have the judges. They were made up of the teachers. And some of them, I have to say, were very, very harsh. They made Simon Cowell look like a pussycat. One of them in particular. But it was a lot of fun. It was all very nicely done. I loved hosting those events. So much fun. They got about two, 300 people in to watch and it was done as a live TV show. We had auto cue for me. We had the singers being interviewed by me. Then they'd come on and do their acts and they actually all filmed Backstory VT. So you had the VTs of the contestants like you would on the actual 
X Factor. Although there was one embarrassing moment for me from this show. As I said, it was being videoed. They were doing it as if it was a live TV show. So it was recorded. This is on film. At one point, we didn't have many microphones and there was a act on who had, I think they had about seven singers. So they basically needed all the microphones we had in the whole building, including mine. So what I did was I left the microphone on stage with them. When they'd finished singing, they put the microphone back on the mic stand in front of them. Now I normally, when I'm using the mic stand, when no one's there, I might test it out first, work out how to get the mic on and off it. Some of them are quite different, believe it or not. Well, this one, I was trying to very quickly get the act off stage and keep the thing moving and the mic was in the mic stand. So I'm trying to grab the mic out of the mic stand, hopefully doing it, you know, very slick, very quickly, pick it up. It's jammed in there. I can't get it out. So I'm talking to people, trying to get this mic out of the mic stand while still speaking into it, putting it harder and harder and harder until eventually it comes out of the mic stand and I literally smack myself on the forehead with it. Big noise down the mic as I do it. And of course, this is all caught on video. How that has not appeared on You've Been Framed yet, I don't know, but it's only a matter of time. I just hope I get a cut of the 250 pounds. I've never had much luck with cars. Things do go wrong. What's the worst car you've ever owned? This is my car that is the worst one I've ever owned. It was a Astra. It was a Mark II Astra. It was burgundy in colour. Here's what occurred. I got a loan out of the bank to buy myself a second-hand car because I needed one. I decided, because my mates had them, that I wanted to get an Astra. I thought, yeah, Astra's are good cars. Vauxhall are a good make. That's fine. That's what I'll get. So I was scouring around, looking around, trying to find one fairly locally. A mate of mine knows a bit about cars, so he kind of suggested one, and I found one, and he said he'd come with me to have a look at it. So we found this car over Reading Way, and we went over there. He gave me a lift. We had a look at it, took it for a test drive. All seemed fine. All seemed to be working okay. No problem at all. I liked it, so I bought it, handed a cash over, bought, no problem whatsoever. Then I get... Probably about 10, 15 minutes away from the house that I bought it from. It was a private sale. And guess what? This car breaks down. Suddenly stops on me, stops working completely. My mate who dropped me over, I tried to call him, but he was already on his way home and had to get another mate of mine home because he had to catch a ferry because he was going away with his girlfriend. So he couldn't come back and pick me up. So in desperation, I phoned the guy who I brought the car off of. Now, I'd just given him cash. He didn't know me. I'd done the deal. The car was bought, sold a seed. He could have just hung up that phone and said, sorry, mate, you're on your own. Fair play to him. What he did do, he came out and did manage to get the car started for me. So he didn't have to, he came out, got the car started for me. I managed to nurse it home, so we got it home, and then my mate said he'd look at it and did about a week's worth of work on it, so I bought parts on it, paid my mate for the labour to get it all up and running, and this car was now good to go. I picked it up, I think on a Tuesday night, I drove it somewhere on the Tuesday. On the Wednesday, I was going into work with it for the first time, and we were supposed to be going out with some of my work colleagues after the day's work for a meal somewhere and I agreed to take one of my colleagues to this meal in my new car. So I came in and parked my car in the car park, public car park we always use for work. Bearing in mind I've had this car about 10 days, this is the only the third time I've driven it anywhere and one of those times it had broken down. All now fixed, it was parked at work, all fine, very happy, very pleased, was driving lovely. I went in for the day's work, then I came out at the end of the day ready to 
get the car ready to drive my colleague to this meal and I'm walking around the car park thinking I can't see this car I mean it's a new car we know my history with finding cars in car parks so I was wandering around and then all of a sudden I realized I was standing in the exact car parking space that I parked that car in in the morning it was not there it had definitely gone I just stood in that space no word of a lie for about a minute thinking well how what where and then it dawned on me that it must have been stolen the car must have been stolen it had to have been stolen so I had to phone the police and report this car stolen a car that I'd barely owned for a week and I'd hardly driven whatsoever I had to then apologize to my mate to tell them that I couldn't take them to dinner I had no car to get home very kindly the colleague who I was supposed to be driving to dinner very kindly offered to drive me home so she drove me home in her car in the end neither of us ended up going out to the meal and obviously I was just waiting by the phone to find out what had happened as it turned out I did get a call from the police later that evening they found my car burnt out somewhere so basically some people potentially fairly young kids had nicked it they got on a joyride they'd burnt it out they'd dumped it and it was unrepairable they'd written it off completely that was my worst car experience a car that cost me a lot of money that broke down the first time I picked it up and was stolen the day after I got it fixed I'm glad I didn't keep that car for very long it was ultimately jinxed I probably had a lucky escape with getting rid of it how I did Neil Quigley Janet Ellis the ex-Blue Peter presenter an Abba impersonator and more importantly for this interview <laughs> mum of four <laughs> afternoon Janet Sorry, I was just laughing at Abba Impersonator. Well, I enjoyed the show. <laughs> it was a tough call, but I really liked the end result. <laughs> exactly. You can't be before to that many people, can you? <laughs> no. Right then, job in hand. Uh, the amount of money that kids are getting nowadays then for pocket money. When I was growing up, honestly, thinking back, it's a long way to think back, all I can think of is about £1, £1.50 a week, I'm sure, if I was lucky, which seemed to last me forever. Well, we're keeping price with inflation here, aren't we, really? Because on average now, a five-year-old gets 150 a week and a 14-year-old gets about seven quid. And I think allowing for inflation and the sort of things they're buying with their money, that, that seems about the same, really. I guess it's not too much of a change. To add to my pocket money, I used to do a paper round and stuff yeah. like that, as you know, many youngsters, I, I guess, still do. They do, yeah, they do. And also, the advent of car boot sales on eBay has also meant a lot of handy financially remunerative recycling of children and things as well. For my, my paper round, I remember getting, what, £10 a week back when I was 14 mm. 15 I've never been so financially well off as I was then because you just <laughs> yeah. you know it's all disposable income isn't it you just spend yeah, absolutely. it absolutely yeah you got free board and lodgings yeah you don't have to worry about your holidays or your transport yeah it is it's lovely and also on a serious note I think giving pocket money to children gives them just a little bit of power because when you're little you haven't got much to be honest you have you you know people tell you what to do and what to eat and when to get up but to hand them just a little tiny bit of cash and it's theirs to do with as they like is heady stuff and to be encouraged a bit of responsibility you see it's up mm. to them, you know, how they manage their money. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I do think, and the interesting thing from this survey is that children are still using their money very sensibly. They're not just going out and buying the latest CD. They're also saving. It depends slightly where you are in the country for the amount they're saving. And uh, I'll present this purely for information. Children from Yorkshire save the most. 
I thought it might be higher, but let's you know, let's not let's not get into a geographical debate about uh, exactly, who yeah. saves just, the best. Just a fact, yeah. yeah just no, a that, fact. that's cool. And as you sort of touched on it a while ago with eBay and stuff like that, the thing nowadays is kids can become very rich very early if they're a bit switched on, if yeah. they invest their pocket money wisely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the, the the first car boot sale we did. You know, the whole family were very excited about it, and, and my kids said, "Can we sell off some toys?" And I'm, yes, of course. You know, they made by far the most money. They were the hardest bargainers. And I think they were probably, at the end of the day, the most satisfied, you know. And, of course, as, as these things always go, they did not have to lay out the five pounds for the pitch. Exactly. That's <laughs> the brilliant thing about being a child. As we said, there's no overhead costs. <laughs> yeah. Everything is pure profit. Whatever they had to you put receive. up that wallpaper paste table. They did not. <laughs> it was... Yeah, it was jam, really. Next time, Janet, charge them commission. It's quite simple. I know, I thought you know, that, 5%. yeah. 5%. It's, it's too late, because when you've got three of them and you haven't started that, it's a bit hard to go in harder with the younger ones, isn't it? And I didn't start it with Sophie, and I should have done, really. <laughs> I see your problem. Quickly, before we wrap things up, I've actually I met you before, Janet, believe it or not. Oh, where was that? Many, many years ago, when I was very, very young. I still have your autograph in my autograph book. <sighs> Really? Really, yeah. Rich, what were you doing? We were at Richmond Cinema yeah. watching a double bill of The Jungle Book and Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> I met you outside with my mum. And basically, oh. we, we didn't have any... You're very lovely, by the way. We didn't have any uh, paper or, indeed, a pen. So you ended up scribbling your autograph, uh, leaning on my back <laughs> on some tissue paper using my mum's eyeliner pen. Oh, and you still got it? I've still got it, yeah. I've still got it at home. I, I, I'm guessing... I mean, you had a daughter with you. I'm guessing that was Sophie, was it? It would have been Sophie, yeah. We used to live around there then. Yeah, how lovely. So there you go. Good to speak to you. We won't say how many years later, but a a couple of years later. Oh, I can't lie about my age. 26. (laughs) People can do the math. (laughs) Thanks very much. It was, was, yeah, 20 20 odd years then. Thanks, Janet. (laughs) Well, nice to meet you again, Neil. I'm happy to do you a hard copy if you want. Oh, brilliant. I'll bear that in mind. (laughs) Cheers, Janet. Bye for now. Neil Quigley. Now, she is quite a diverse person, but I have met. Katie Price once. She was doing a book signing for one of her books, I can't remember which one, down in Yeovil when I was working down there and I managed to secure an interview with her. Then there was lots of other different media outlets down there. She was actually an hour and a half late for the book signing and the rumour was, and I think this was the truth, believe it or not, what happened was the security people she booked actually got confused with the booking. Now, it was at a bookshop in Yeovil was where she was doing the book signing. Apparently, her security team went to the Oval, the cricket ground. Sounds ridiculous, but she didn't have a normal level of security when she arrived. Also, as well, she had a flat tyre on her way to the store, which made her late as well. Insert your own joke there, by the way. I'm not going there in that direction. But yes, she had a burst tyre on the way, which delayed her. Now, we were told when we interviewed her, she won't talk about her family. She won't talk about her family or anything personal. It was when she was with Peter Andre. So we all had to sort of agree to that before we started. So I was like, fine. I think I might have ended up going first or second. And initially... I couldn't get my recording equipment to work, which is a bit embarrassing. So that was a bit awkward as I'm stumbling, just trying to make small talk and get my recording equipment working. Got it working and we're chatting away. Now, love or hate Katie Price. One thing I found from that meeting and that interview, she is an amazing businesswoman. She has got her fingers in a lot of pies, but she knows exactly what she's doing. She's focused and she knows what she's promoting. She knows how to make it happen. I asked her the very simple question. So what have you got coming up? What are your plans for next year? No word of a lie from the top of her head. She reeled off 10 
projects and things she was doing in the next 12 months. Detailing when they were being launched, what they were, exactly where you could get hold of them. She had it all in her head. She knew what she was promoting and she was promoting it all. It was very, very impressive. I guess we must have been getting on okay because she did warn to me and I kind of didn't ask about the family as such. But she did go on to tell me a little bit about the family and a few personal things, which I thought was nice. So obviously she felt some sort of rapport, but it was really awkward because she, I think, was pregnant at the time as well. I think she was pregnant with one of the children she had with Peter Andre. So the way it was working, she was sat in a seat at the back of this bookstore and I was literally, to get the interview, to get the microphone midway between me and her, I was on my knees, kind of sort of crouching down in front of her to just try and get the audio levels right so we're both in the same level. And it, so it was really odd. And my mate managed to get a picture of basically Katie Price and the back of my head. That was the only photo I got from that interview. And I've lost it somewhere as well, which is a great shame. But I did like her. She can be divisive. She doesn't always say the right things. I don't think she always makes the right decisions but I think deep down she's a very nice person and she's certainly a very good businesswoman. She's been accused of, you know, not being maybe very smart in the past. That is rubbish. I always maintain, okay, you don't make lots of money unless you're clever. Nobody makes money from being a complete idiot. Even the people who come across it, oh, they're an idiot. If they made lots of money, they're not an idiot. They definitely know what they're doing. Neil Quigley. I am quite a fan of the royal family. I've always liked them. I admire them. And so I'm excited about the royal wedding, but I'm looking forward to it. And I'm pleased for Prince Harry and I'm pleased he's found someone. And hopefully it'll be a great day and a great affair. I mean, if the radio station do want to send someone to cover the event, I'm happy to offer my services. I have tried to be a real correspondent once before in the past, about five or so years ago now. I was sent to cover a visit by the Duchess of Cornwall. Camilla was going to one of the towns near where I worked and she was going to meet some of the RAF. She was going to be shown to them in a parade and come and say a few words and give a speech. This was the first time I'd kind of been on a royal assignment so I was fairly excited about it I did my research I got there nice and early had my press accreditation and read all the do's and don'ts with the main do and don't being that you can't actually speak to the royal if the royal happens to speak to you that's a happy bonus that's a happy coincidence but I like it to happen but you can't like doorstepper and ask them questions so you kind of just there explaining what's going on and describing the situation for people to understand what's happening at home, which was great fun. I did really enjoy it. And to be fair, Camilla was fantastic. She was great. She was really friendly to the people she was supposed to be meeting and saying hello to, which was all the RAF guys. And one thing I will say, she looked great as well. Her dress sense was fantastic. She just looked the part. I think that's and that's half the battle with being a good royal, isn't it? And half the battle with doing anything in life that makes you look successful. If you look the part, you're halfway there, at least. I'm not saying I didn't do a good job, but I've not been sent on any more royal appointments since then. That is it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you've never owned a car worse than mine, and you too have some strange autographs in your autograph book at home somewhere. If you want to get in contact, you can do via the website. It's www.neilquigley.co.uk. Have a fantastic seven days. I'll speak to you again next week. Have fun, take care, be nice to each other. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.